It's one of the most exciting weeks of the year here at From the Bridge because it's the start of the college football season. This is your coach and captain, Rick Jones, and we have another wonderful show for you today. Today, we're going to talk about data, specifically fan data, and how to use fan data in a variety of ways. My special guest is my client and friend, Ian Neufeld from Mocha Global. He'll discuss their breakthrough mobile app for fans of numerous teams. We'll hop back up on the soapbox and make a stop at a game day legend on the road with Rick. So tighten your chin strap. It's time for college football from the bridge. I've previously told you I listen to music as I outline or write my weekly podcast script. Today, I'm listening to college football marching band fight songs from some of those great schools. Songs like Hail to the Victors from Michigan or Ramblin' Wreck from Georgia Tech or the great We Are the Boys of Old Florida. How about Across the Field by the Buckeye Band? Speaking of the Ohio State Band, is there anything better than Script Ohio when the band spells out the state and then dots the I's? One of the great moments in college football. How about the various versions of the Tiger Rag? You know, Clemson has one version and LSU has another version. It's ironic that Clemson and LSU, who played for the national championship a couple of years ago, both are the Tigers. Both have the Tiger Rag as their fight song, and both call their home field Death Valley. I love all the great Notre Dame fight songs. They seem to have a dozen. (laughs) They have so many great fight songs. I know it's somewhat controversial these days, but I still love hearing the eyes of Texas are upon you. Or how about on Wisconsin? Or the great Fight On by the Southern Cal Band? Or the great Boomer Sooner? And of course, yay, Alabama, by the million-dollar band of the national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. I love everything about college football, especially those talented marching bands. I'm partial, but to me, there's nothing better than hearing the University of Georgia Redcoat Band play Georgia on my mind. It always gives me chills every time, and most times gives me a little tear in my eye. But this year, I'm most thankful for the fans. Last season was so disappointing to fans as they were unable to watch their favorite teams play. I'm looking forward to packed stadiums full of excited fans. This week, everyone is undefeated. By next week, it all changes. I remember listening to Lou Holtz one day on a Sunday morning on my way to church. He was on satellite radio, and he said, the darndest thing happened in college football yesterday. Half the teams lost. (laughs) Well, it's true. And by week one, half the teams have already lost the first game and are no longer undefeated. The college football fan experience is unlike any other. The night before, you pack your car for tailgating. On game day, you head to the stadium in the wee hours of the morning, maybe stopping at the Cracker Barrel for a proper game day breakfast or hitting the drive through for a biscuit at Hardy's and a large cup of coffee. You arrive at the stadium at your regular tailgating spot and unload the car and set up the tailgating experience. 
You have a covered tent with tables for food and chairs for sitting. You set up your generator and your dish satellite for your big screen television, and you turn on college football game day built by the Home Depot. You light the grill. You make some Bloody Marys, or maybe because it's such an early morning, maybe you just have a Virgin Mary to start the day. Y'all know my son-in-law is a Brit. You know what Brits call Virgin Marys? A bloody shame. Then the food comes out. Some boiled peanuts to snack on, pimento cheese sandwiches, ham biscuits, potato salad, and coleslaw. A bucket of Bojangles fried chicken. Some chopped barbecue pork you picked up at your favorite barbecue joint. You put on the brats and the burgers. Maybe some ribs on the grill. At many games, you have prepared a themed menu. I remember going to the uh, University of Florida versus LSU game in Baton Rouge one year when Tim Tebow was a senior and watched all the LSU fans roasting live gators on spits and serving gator bites. Speaking of LSU, they just eat differently down there. They have boiled shrimp and gumbo, etouffee, jambalaya. How about the Grove at Ole Miss? When you go to the Grove, you just might get served on China with a hotty toddy cocktail and a crystal glass or a pewter mug. Had a great, great trip to Ole Miss one year. Charlie Hussey, who's the chief operating officer of the SEC and an Ole Miss grad, got me tickets, and I got to be entertained by Charlie's dad and mom that day. And Charlotte and I said it was one of the great college football experiences of our lives. Just a wonderful, wonderful day. And one of my very favorites is the tailgating experience at the University of Louisiana, Louisiana down there in Lafayette. It's really the LSU experience with nicer fans. When you walk through, they'll say, boy, boy, come over here and get you some gumbo. Get you some gumbo over here. I just love tailgating with my pal T-Boy A. Bear. T-Boy is one of the great guys with great food and great fellowship. Now it's time for the team walk. You line up and high-five the players as they walk into the stadium to dress for the game. Or how about the walk of the Corps Cadets at Texas A&M or the walk of the Gray Line at West Point? Then a quick walk through the Fan Fest full of corporate sponsor activations and giveaways. I have to mention that because that's what we do for a living. Then back to your tailgate for one more plate of food and a cold beer or an ice-cold Dr. Pepper. Now it's time to head into the stadium. The place is packed. You grab some popcorn or peanuts and a game program. You get to your seat and hug the people around you because it's been a long time, and you've been sitting with these same folks for decades. Down on the fields, Mike the Tiger or Bevo the Longhorn or maybe Ugga in Athens. The band plays the pregame show culminating in the national anthem. And we still stand respectfully for that down here in the South. Then the band lines up for the team entrance. Every school has some traditional entrance. It's hard to top War Eagle at Auburn or the running of Ralphie at Colorado or Chief Osceola with the lighted spirit Florida State. I'm a Georgia Tech fan and I love to see the rambling wreck roll onto the field. I love to see the team run through the tee at Tennessee. 
and the smoke entrance at Miami. The teams run onto the field led by their head coach. The captains meet at midfield for the coin toss. They shake hands, and everyone stands for the kickoff. And now we play. We have an amazing first half, and we've got a tie game at halftime. The bands come back onto the field to play the halftime show. The second half begins, and the home team wins with a last-minute drive for a touchdown. We stand and cheer the young athletes. Then it's back to the tailgate to listen to the post-game show on the radio or maybe catch another game on your television. We don't want to or need to fight the traffic leaving the campus, so we just have another plate of food and watch a little more football. And then we get ready to do it all again next week. There'll be 75,000 fans in your stadium this weekend. Do you know who they are? Really? I doubt it. Oh, you know who bought the tickets, but you really have no idea who actually sits in in those seats this week. How about all those fans watching at home on television? For years, I've talked about what we call dirt road alums. These are people that have never been to your campus but are big fans of Texas or Oklahoma or Alabama or Clemson, for that matter. I've been preaching that the future of college sports and the future of all teams and organizations, for that matter, is our ability to what? Number one, identify our tribe. Number two, communicate with our tribe. Number three, engage with our tribe. And finally, monetize our tribe. I've been reading lately how that word tribe has become kind of a negative word, like it says something uh, bad about us. In this case, I go back to the definition of a fan that my boss, Chuck Jarvie, told me a long time ago. He said that a fan is one who will suspend rational behavior <laughs> in pursuit of their passions. These are tribes that unite us, not divide us. That's the beauty of college football. It's how about them tigers or how about them dogs or roll tide or war eagle. It's something about uniting us. My special guest, Ian Neufeld, has a fan app that can do all the things I just talked about. This app will help you literally identify the members of your fan base by their phone number. It will help you better communicate with the tribe. It will help you engage with the tribe. And finally, maybe most importantly, it will help you monetize the tribe. So let's welcome Ian to the bridge. Ian, we're glad you're with us today. Oh, Rick, thank you so much, man. Really, really excited to be here. Well, tell me, I always like to start with every guest. Where, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York, in, uh, in a little town called Plainview. Now, what part of Long Island is Plainview? So it's like uh, kind of central like Western Nassau County. So kind of, kind of pretty like 25 minutes outside of, uh, outside of Queens, New York. You know, it's interesting. I've always talked about, um, where the nets currently reside at the Barclays center in, in Brooklyn. And that, um, you know, Walter O'Malley wanted to build the new Dodger stadium at that location, because that's where the train lines had come in from Long Island into Brooklyn. Yep. 
because he realized he had lost a significant amount of his Brooklyn dollar Dodger fan base that had moved to the burbs, moved to yep. Long Island, but they came back to work in the city by coming into that location. And of course, Robert Moses was the head of transportation and Robert Moses owned land where they ultimately built Shea Stadium. <laughs> and, um, and he refused to let him do that. And we know what happened. Uh, Walter O'Malley said, I'll take my ball club and moved to Los Angeles <laughs> and and did. But it was ironic when they came back years later and built the Barclays Center that they built it on the exact location where Walter O'Malley wanted the Brooklyn Dodgers Stadium to be. So, so, so many people that live in Long Island, especially reasonably close in, you know, live in the burbs and, and travel into the city. Did you spend much time in the city as a kid? Yeah, I uh, I mean I spent a, a good deal of time. Um, part a big part of my family is uh, is Brooklyn bound, so it, it was awesome um, to be able to spend time there and, and spend time on Long Island. I kind of got the uh, the best of both worlds, but I uh, I can definitely appreciate when they built the Barclays Center and they attempted to move the Islanders there, <laughs> the, the staunch resistance that they got from from many of the fans. It's it's ironic, right? And that they ended up bringing the Islanders back. And uh, they got a they got a new home just built um, in uh, Belmont, New York. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it was. I think people fail to realize how. Again, we've talked uh, a lot today about tribes, and yeah. you know, there was a special affinity for those that lived in Nassau County for a team that played at the Nassau Coliseum. And, and they kind of overreached and thinking, oh, they'll just get on the train and come to Brooklyn. Not so fast. Um, It was a hard, it was a hard sell. (laughs) I think it was a really, really hard sell. Well, I love Long Island. We've spent some time out on the North shore, which is like a whole nother world. By the time you drive the two hours all the way out to Greenpoint, um, it's just a pretty special, special place. So where'd you go to college? I went to uh, college at the University of Rhode Island. Uh, it was a great, great the Rams, <clears throat> the Rams. They're uh, they're great. Their basketball teams giving us some some fun action over uh, over the last few years. Uh, Mr. Hurley took us to the NCAA, which was awesome. And now we're in a little bit of a rebuild period, but I, I have faith in that team. They're they're starting to really come up in the Atlantic Ten. Well, I, I have a good friend, a guy named Al Skinner. And Al Skinner had great teams at Rhode Island before he moved on to Boston College um, and and had a lot of success there. So there's a history of successful basketball uh, there at the University of Rhode Island, and I'm confident they're going to continue to be successful from that standpoint. So you go to school. What you what you get your degree in? So I got my degree in public policy, right, which I think is a uh, is a nice way of saying I wasn't quite sure what to get my degree in yet. <laughs> <laughs> Either that but, or you were ready to run for political office. One of the yeah. two. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So it was, I mean, it was really a great experience. University of Rhode Island had a great education system, learned, learned a lot of strong fundamentals, but really, really hit my stride once I uh, got my first job out of college, which was really a, an opportunity for me to blossom. And so what did you, uh, how did you start your career? What did you start doing first? So I started off um, at a company called Aerotech, and I was in business development, and it was for human resources recruiting. It was a really interesting job in that you were helping people 
find opportunities or helping businesses identify new hires. Um, but wasn't exactly my passion. Really found my passion when I when I came to, over to a company called Intent, and that's where I uh, I got a lot of my experience in ad tech, which really put me on the on the trajectory to to where I am now with uh, Mocha Global. Talk about Intent a little bit. Tell me exactly what they did. Yeah, we were. A, it was a search technology company, and essentially what we did at Intent was we worked with publishers to help them monetize um, excess inventory. So it was really at the forefront of search and programmatic advertising. Yep. And it was uh, it was a really it was a, it was a great experience. We were able to help a lot of businesses um, scale revenue, and we were able to uh, to build a very successful company. Well, before we talk about Mocha, let's talk about really important things like Jets versus Giants. Jets all day, baby. Oh. All gas, no all gas, no brakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember. You know, I grew up an Alabama fan. I remember when Joe Namath was drafted but Sonny Warblin drafted him. He also drafted the Heisman Trophy winner that same year, a guy named yep. John Hewitt. But uh, Hewitt was no match for Broadway Joe and um, those great teams that we Bank had with the, with the Jets. It's, it's been a dry spell for you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, a, I'm an Atlanta Falcon fan. We've never won a Super Bowl. Uh, it is very, very difficult. Um, at least you can say you won one as a Jets yeah. fan, um, and uh, and hopefully there's bright, um, you know, games ahead for the Jets. All right, Mets versus Yankees. Mets versus Yankees. Mets all day. Absolutely. I think if you're, they all they all run together. It's your your Mets, Jets, Islanders, or your Yankees. Rangers, Giants. And yeah, I think, I think that's you're right. I think that's how that, that thing. works. It's interesting. A lot of my buddies in Connecticut seem to be conflicted. They, get, yeah. I mean, they're in one side or the other. I mean, they're they're either on that Long Island side or they're on the the, the New York side. But they, I can't find any commonalities in that. Now, how about basketball? Did you did you were you a Knicks fan or a Nets I, fan? I was, or? I was a Knicks fan. Um, because they were great in the early '90s, and you had to watch, you know, a couple of teams that were good, <laughs> based on my positioning. But I think college basketball has always been where my heart is. I think it's, I think it's just such a exceptional sport and such an incredible tournament that it's, it always captivated me. Well, I mean, again, New York was at one time the epicenter of college basketball. Yep. The, the old garden had some of the great games that the NIT was a bigger tournament than the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Dave Gavitt, who was a genius, uh, when he, when he created the big East, you know, he realized if you're going to have a really important conference, you got to play in the most important city in the world and moving the big East tournament to Madison square garden was pure genius. And you had in that era you know some of the great college basketball teams and coaches you had john thompson at georgetown and you had louis carnesecca at st john's and raleigh massimino at villanova and jim Beheim at syracuse i mean just amazing coaches and teams in that league that before gavitt put them together didn't even exist 
Um, and so, you know, you saw great college basketball in, in the New York era during that, during that period. Absolutely. All right, let's talk a little bit about Mocha because I'm really intrigued about, uh, you know, the technology, how it works, how it is such a great uh, facilitator of helping you identify your fan base, um, help you, you know, communicate and engage with your fan base, and then the ultimate is how you monetize your fan base. So let's talk about Mocha and, and, and how the technology started. So great question. Mocha began as a, a privacy first technology. So when we were building Mocha, we were thinking about, you know, uh, consumer privacy and ensuring that the information that people were typing and texting into their phones was was really used to help facilitate what was most important to them and not used as a tool or a mechanism to um, identify what someone is thinking or what someone's intent was to sell advertising against. So we built some really smart technology on the fundamentals of edge, right? Which means um, that we are a serverless environment and that business was working exceptionally well for two and a half years, right? Going up right into, you know, what was COVID, right? And we still have these partnerships with some of the biggest tech companies some of the biggest telecom companies in the world. But when COVID hit, we had an opportunity to, to pivot, right? And one of our board advisors and some very deep connections in the the European soccer space, and they really started to talk to us about the impact that COVID was having on sports, right? Which was something that we were all aware of, I guess, um, in many capacities, just because we, we enjoy it and we watch sports. But we weren't necessarily thinking that that was a direct impact on what it is that we did with building privacy first keyboards. So we started initially essentially speaking to to sports teams about how we could help them and how we could help uh, align uh, a second screen environment or a mobile environment with what was most important to their fans, which was a connection to their team. And that's where we got our, our primary focus today, which is, you know, fan engagement technology um, affinity engagement technology, um, where you can really get a better opportunity to understand your tribe and and who it is that you're speaking to and communicating with. And it really starts with the most used part of your smartphone, which I never had thought about till you told me, which is the keyboard, the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. The, the keyboard is a, is an interesting, um, piece of technology. It's really a super app, right? It's often pre-installed or downloaded when you're adding new products onto your mobile phone. But what we do is we replace the keyboard in any phone device. So uh, Samsung, right, an Android-style phone or an Apple or an iOS-style phone um, with a custom white-label keyboard for the affinity groups that we work with, right? And again, keyboards are really cool because, you know, we don't think about it, but they're used 120 times per day. And people are spending more than four and a half hours a day on their mobile phones, and that number just continues to to increase. So it's really a great way to get in front of your audience at the right time. One of the things I tell people is I may, as a fan, move physically eight, nine, ten times in my lifetime, but I'm going to keep my mobile phone number 
You know, I may change from AT&T to Verizon or to T-Mobile or whatever, but I'm keeping my same number because that's my identity. That's how people can find me. That's how I can uh, I can do many things. And so I think it's brilliant that you've taken this link of something that's so important to us, which is our smartphone, and then applied it back to the fandom of specific teams. Now, I know y'all have done some of this with uh, some teams in the Premier League uh, in Europe. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think all sports teams are, are really looking to do to do three things in a very significant way with a mobile phone, right? Very true of uh, Premier League teams. We've had some great conversations with NFL teams, NCAA teams, right? It's one, they want to provide their fans with the, the greatest fan engagement tools and technologies available. They want to make sure fans get the most up-to-date content in chronological order and in real time. The, the second thing they want to do is that they want to understand what their fans are thinking and what's trending among their fan base in a compliant environment, in a GDPR compliant environment where they're protecting the anonymity of their fans, but they understand information and insights to help grow partnerships. And the, and the last thing that they want to do and all organizations want to do is they want to create new incremental revenue streams. And we've come up with some really smart ways to do that, leveraging e-commerce. Well, before we talk about that, I want to talk about the engagement piece of it. Right, so, so we've reskinned a white label phone, and I now have the ability to see my favorite team's brand every time I use the keyboard to actually click and link to the team's digital and social content to click and link to a team's sponsors um, to um, click and link to a team's, you know, fan shop if I want to buy uh, apparel or, or um, you know, other commemorative items. Um, talk a little bit about the, the utility of that from an engagement standpoint. Yeah, so it's a, that's a great question. You know, what we've done with our custom white label keyboard is we've put all of the control of how content um, can be consumed directly in the fans' hands, right? So our teams that we work with get this incredible opportunity to custom curate all of their social content, all of their video content, live score and game content, stickers, themes, gifts, wallpapers, tickets, <laughs> merchandise, all into a single hub that engages fans based on their interests and their desires. So fans get all of these opportunities to get great content in real time, right, on their mobile phones. And teams get this great opportunity to share that content or information with their fans based on exactly when they want it. You know, one of the things I'm real intrigued about is how your uh, app will allow you to uh, aggregate um, most social media posts and in, in, through one portal. So if I you know, post something about my team on Twitch or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram um, or TikTok. They all come together uh, through one one place. Yeah, I mean that's that's one one of the things that we're we're most proud of doing. Right, is giving fans the ability to get kind of all these disparate social media content pieces 
into a single stream, right, in chronological order. So they know when their when their favorite team updates a Facebook page or an Instagram page. They know when their favorite team posts something new on Twitter, right? And being able to get all of that content in real time gives teams the ability to to drive and deliver more engagement and it gives fans the ability to get the best content and the freshest content um, in one place. Well, I watched um, recently we lost the, the great the Florida State football coach, uh, Coach Bobby Bowden, and I watched a lot of the posts of his former players and, and you know, other coaches and and just general fans, but you couldn't find it all in one location. You had, you had to go search all sorts of different places. And I think, you know, a tool like this at a time like that is a great resource to see what are fans thinking in real time uh, across all the different social networks that they utilize. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great point, right? Understanding what's trending amongst your fan base, right, is incredibly important because one as a as a team you always want to know what's most important to your fans, what are they most interested in, what are the content pieces that are most exciting, right? And being able to know that, right, means that one you can you can talk more about that and cater to that from a content standpoint and get more consumption. The other is it's a really great opportunity to understand how to communicate and market to your fan base um, in a in a smart and innovative way. Well, you know, I always said that fandom is really like a gigantic family, <laughs> warts and all, um, and the ability to listen. And, and find out what's important to fans and make decisions but based on what you're seeing and how you're interpreting that data, I think is essential in order to keep them engaged. And, and I think it's really important that, that fans really truly believe that you're listening <laughs> and that you're listening and responding to what they're trying to say. And this, you know, app allows that to happen, like I said, in real time that's really good. But the real neat thing is, forget all the engagement, and the engagement is amazing with all the data that you've shared with me and others about how there's greater stickiness and more time involved with the content and the ability to to create user-generated content and distribute it and do all those kinds of things. But there is a different play to this, which is the monetization play, and you, you hinted at that earlier with mobile commerce. Talk a little bit about how that works. Yeah. So, you know, one of the one of the things that we do in creating you know, smart incremental revenue streams is we give um, teams the opportunity to capitalize on mobile commerce and um, when partners are, are making purchases. One, by linking their brands, right, and their opportunities to, to the keyboard. So when a consumer shows intent or interest in a product, we're able to share that. And the second, by understanding just uh, how people are making purchases online, showing intent to make purchases, and then being able to earn revenue off of those purchases in, in a really smart and uh, interesting way. Well, for our listeners, Mocha is the answer to targeting and communicating with your fan base today. One of the neat things about it is it's actually free. It's free for teams. Mocha will come in and develop it for free, and it's free to fans to download. It creates significantly more engagement. 
and it creates a brand new revenue stream <laughs> when we all need new revenues right now. How can people reach you, Ian? We have a lot of, um, you know, obviously sports people that listen to the podcast. How, how can they reach out to you? Sure. I mean, the, the best way to reach me is um, email. It's ian.newfeld, N-E-W-F-E-L-D, at mocha.global. Or uh, feel free to, to call my work mobile, which is 646-226-7335. Well, I've told everybody, fans pay for everything. And in this case, you can prove it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's a kind of neat deal. Ian, I can't thank you enough for being with us today from the bridge. Yeah, Rick, thank you so much, man. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And, uh, you know, we'll talk soon. Let's get back up on the old soapbox. How many of you have taken kids to Disneyland or to Walt Disney World? Or how many of you were a kid that went to one of those theme parks? You know, when you come to Disney for the first time, they make a big, big deal about it. They give you a big button that says, this is my first trip to Disney. And so everyone stops and is nice to you and and welcomes you to the Magic Kingdom. Why don't we do that same thing in college sports? Think about a child's very first game experience. Why don't we give them a big button that says, it's my first game? People will welcome them all day long. How about we give them a free baseball cap with the team logo? Or bring him or her down onto the field and let them see the players warming up. Introduce them to the mascot. Put their picture up on the Jumbotron to a standing ovation. In other words, create a memory they'll never forget. You hear me talk a lot about the lifetime value of a fan. It begins with a single step. This step. And that's my view from the soapbox. It's tailgating time in the South and time to pick up some takeout barbecue for the game on the road with Rick. So you find yourself in mid-November and you're kind of tired of cooking for this week's game. Well, if you're traveling from South Georgia on the way to Athens and Sanford Stadium, I have a tip for you. Make a point to put yourself on Georgia Highway 15 south of Greensboro in White Oak, Georgia, and pull into Holcomb's Barbecue. They are only open two days each week. They're only open on Fridays and Saturdays, but this is your lucky day. Grab some takeout chopped pork barbecue, some baby back ribs, and a gallon of their amazing Brunswick stew. You already got takeout baked beans, coleslaw, and potato salad, along with a gallon of sweet tea from Publix. You're set for some good eating at today's tailgate. Believe me, no one will complain about your laziness this week. It's tailgating 2.0 at Holcomb's Barbecue, on the road with Rick. And oh, by the way, go dogs. Thanks for listening today. 
Thanks to my pal, Ian Newfield, for being our guest and sharing how the Mocha app can be a great resource for fan engagement. We'll be right back here next week with another edition of From the Bridge. We'll see you then. Thank you.